So he's saying he's Jake Gyllenhaal, the actor. Yeah, that's a major red flag. Um, <laughs> I know. I thought I would be able to hold that out for longer and I didn't. I was really I was really gunning for <laughs> I was really gunning for being able to do that for the 17 seconds I had left when I stopped. Um but I do not have that much breath. No, 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 no. I didn't think it was going to do that. Oh no. <laughs> We're off to a strong start here in the studio this afternoon. Welcome to the Jake Gyllenhaal fan club. Oh my god, I have to pull up my sounds. Wait, wait, wait. Hi, losers. That could have been louder. Welcome to the Jake Gyllenhaal fan club. It's been a couple weeks. I want to say it's been at least two weeks, maybe three, since we've been on the air doing the Jake show. And that's because for those for the uninitiated, first and, first and foremost, um, Jem, who is out of town at the moment, I will be reading a statement from Jem in a moment, um, but they are currently out of town gallivanting in the Midwest, so um, normally we would be doing One Boy Aloud at this exact time talking about music and pop culture and popular music and, and culture, right? But since, since they're not here, we're not going to do that. I've got free reign to bring the Jake show back for exactly two weeks, and then it's dead for real. <laughs> so until that point, yeah, hi, we're back. If you didn't know about the Jake show for some reason, but you did know about One Boy Aloud, that's okay. Like, listen, it's okay. It's totally possible. Um, that was a show where every week we would, most of the time, talk about a Jake Gyllenhaal movie, but sometimes we would talk about two different movies, and sometimes we would talk about Adam Driver, and sometimes we wouldn't talk about any of those people. <laughs> Because, I don't know if you know this, but it is quite difficult to talk about one man in one movie for an hour a week every week. Because um, some of these movies, as you'll see today, some of these movies, they're not that good. They are pretty bad, actually. But that's just the price you pay of attaching yourself to one actor in the way that, like, a gosling... Is it gosling or goosling? That's for me to decide and for you to never know. Um, a, a baby goose imprints on an adult goose, or perhaps an adult man. I don't know. I don't know anything. Um, yeah, so we are back doing the Jake show in the in the FM studio, which is crazy to me because I did not think that we would actually ever do this. Um, but it is so much nicer in here. This microphone is lovely. This headphone, I found the one that was nice. Uh, some of them aren't, but this one is. Um, and you guys, you guys, it's Jude. It's June, so that does mean that it is it is Pride Month, which means I can do all of these sounds that I just made. Hi, gay. Hi, gay. Big sleigh. Big sleigh. This is not to, for me to fill time. This is because I, I planned to do this, which is... They're way too quiet, but that's okay. That is... Hi, gay. Hi, gay. Hi, gay. <laughs> I have to entertain myself today because if I don't, who will? Oh, no. Anyway... Today on the Jake Gyllenhaal Fan Club, I wanted to give back to, like, as close of a normal episode as possible, while also having done three movies and not having my co-host with me. Um, so in order to do that, I was thinking that we would bring it back 
to the Jillian News, but in order to do that, I have to play the Jillian News noise, which is this. It's this. Oh my god! Oh my god! Wait a minute! Oh no! This is super appropriate! Oh, I'll, I'll explain. I'll explain why it's really appropriate as soon as the- Oh, it's done. Okay, great. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that these two things were connected. So I'm really excited now. All right. So first, I promised that the first piece of Jill and News, if you were on our Instagram today, which you might not have been, and that's okay. I don't blame you. Um, which is at jillenhall.umd. If you know how to spell Jillenhall, you'll find out wh- what the Instagram is. Um, we were going to talk first, very briefly, about the Cannes Film Festival. Um, for those unaware, the Cannes Film Festival is like one of the big um, film festivals in Europe. It's like the de facto one, I think, of like a lot of this, the like kind of awards prestige season. It basically kicks the whole thing off in that it's definitely one of those one of those film festivals to watch if you are into that sort of thing. Um, although it's kind of funny that a lot of the time the things that win awards, uh, and, and at least for Oscar season, but you know, there are other things outside of the Oscars, um, don't really play at cons. Con is very much art for art's sake in that sort of way. So it's kind of hard to use that as a barometer for what will come out of, you know, what what's going to come out on top in the award season. Because like... <laughs> Parasite was a Cannes Palme d'Or winner, which is the highest honor you can win at the Cannes Film Festival. But then, like, Titan was a Palme d'Or winner. And if you know anything about the French film Titan, uh, that was not an Oscar-friendly film. <laughs> so, like, it's it's not the best metric uh, for determining what's going to do well at any given awards season. But it's always fun to watch because um, all the celebs are there. It's like a nice beach town, so they dress up, but, like, in a fun, summery way. And not so much in, like, a high-fashion red carpet way, although there is plenty of high-fashion red carpets. And speaking of um, people we know on high fashion red carpets at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, Jake was there for some reason. I do not know why. I, he wasn't in any of the movies, and I don't think he produced any of them either, and I don't think his his like little model girlfriend was in any of them either. So I'm not quite sure why he was here other than, like, you know, it's a, it's a fun fo- photo op moment. And in the, you know, speaking of photo op moments, um, Jake... Looked really good. He looked great. Um, he's he's in what I've been describing to myself as his like pajama era of um, fashion and red carpets. In that everything he wears on a red carpet all looks very comfortable. It's very it's very loose and very flowy and very recognizable as like a suit or a button up outfit without necessarily being super. It's not. They're not the most conservative looks, but they're not like. Harry, St- I'm not, and I'm not calling this like radical in any way. But if like, if anybody remembers like Harry Styles at that one Met Gala where he was like in a lacy top and like black pants, it's not like that. But it is very, it's definitely out there for an event where like most people will turn up in black tie and suits and what have you. So uh, he was there, looking, looking fresh, looking funky. Um, again, giving pajama, and his girlfriend was also there. And one of the ugliest things I have ever seen. I'm gonna try my best to describe it to you without pictures because this is radio. <laughs> But I want you to picture, like, a hot pink dress. Like, it's like a hot pink little... A hot pink little number. It's very flowy at the bottom. But it's got, like... The, the like, the top half of it is, like, like puckered lips. Like, actually, it's supposed to be two lips, kind of... Like, a pair of lips kind of puckering at you. And it's awful. It's, tr- it's like, truly not good. I don't know why she is wearing it. Um, you know, you know these models. They, they'll wear the... They'll, models will just wear the darndest things, and that's why I like... I like pretending to care. 
but like this is just not it and then she's wearing like these chrome bows with like i don't know flat are they flat sandals no they're like heels uh they it truly looks uncomfortable and unpleasant and you know jake doesn't really have chemistry with this woman who he's dating allegedly um because, you know, I, as, as we all know, or I would hope that we know by now, I am a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is gay uh, conspiracy theorist. Um, it's one of my many pet conspiracies about a celebrity is that he is a he is a homosexual, but also like not not in the way uh, in the way of celebrity blind items where like every celebrity is in the closet. But like Jake Gyllenhaal, he, he's got a little sugar in the tank, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and this is just not a good look. And I would sooner be seen at con 2020 2022 alone than with my girlfriend who is in the ugliest outfit imaginable and in contrast like maggie's also there maggie g um and she looks quite nice it's another like kind of weird more daring look it's it's both a button-up but also a bra and if you could imagine that and you know i don't it's not my favorite thing in the world but maggie's always kind of like going a little bit weird with it kind of freaking it and i i do like this i think she's always she's always having fun on a red carpet at least very recently um now that she's not acting anymore i think she's um really leaning into being one of the coolest girls in the world um and i think that that's i think it's a fun era it's a fun era to exist in if i were like a hollywood woman i think that i would i i personally would love to be 40 so i could just start being fun and having fun um anyway Wigless. i didn't want there to be a delay Chill. there we go that'll work we're moving on to our next topic right now um so i this is very brief very brief because speaking of jake gyllenhaal being gay um i have plans i have decided to have plans i'll say to go see brokeback mountain in theaters tomorrow because it's apparently a thing that's happening down in dc and i'd like to do that i'll report back next week what i have to do <laughs> this is not interesting but i figured it should go in the dylan news segment so i had something to talk about anyway brokeback mountain in theaters will i cry probably god knows it's uh, yeah it's happening anyway that's the transition now sound now next thing um oh okay this is good yes this is good on saturday night i went to a taylor swift themed dance party at the fillmore in silver spring um it was a fun it was a fun time i'll preface it with this taylor swift is not necessarily a musician that i would classify as making dance music but she definitely makes music that one could dance to and she absolutely makes music that people can drunkenly sing along with now i was not drunk but like it it's very easy to catch up on like like catch like a drunk vibe or like you know like the energy of a big fun event so i was surrounded by you know first of all my friends uh, shout out cat and kayla but um also just like you know a bunch of drunk white women who like me knew the words to almost every song and we're just like screaming them at each other i think my favorite moment was definitely getting really 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 into uh just scream singing um i bet you think about me with just this one girl who was like we were we were performing for each other and only each other and i thought that was great it was true like a true sense of kinship and camaraderie that i don't think i can find in most places and i do i, I and i treasure that i do sincerely cherish it i do also want to shout out I don't know his name, but he he did identify himself as CJ the DJ, um, the person who was DJing the Taylor Swift party. So I want to shout him out because he was absolutely he was absolutely um, 
he well, first of all, he was lurking on the Hall Instagram, which I appreciate as per usual. But he was also just like surprisingly enthusiastic. He, I don't know if he actually likes Taylor Swift or what, but he definitely sold the fantasy of somebody who really, really liked Taylor Swift um, DJing a Taylor Swift dance party. Except for, wait, reminder, except for the fact that he did not play the Taylor's versions of most of the songs that have Taylor's versions. And I thought that was not only bizarre, but downright unacceptable as someone who is peddling a Taylor Swift-themed event. How dare you not play the versions that she profits off of? And Jem, Jem talked about this. Like, Jem was also equally outraged, but they did mention that maybe it costs less money to license the, uh, you know, the original versions, as people um, colloquially refer to them as the Scooters versions. <laughs> of uh taylor's music i i certainly think that that's possible but like if the event and the like much love to cj the dj and the whole event and i did have a blast it was terrific but if your event is only going to be essentially you just playing um you know taylor swift songs like just straight up from a spotify playlist not that that he was playing from spotify but he was playing them relatively unchanged the least you could do i feel is rip the ones that that she would realistically make money off of and maybe she doesn't make no one's making any money off of this besides cj the the dj who knows um but if you're gonna do that you know you might as well have have some artistic integrity about us i don't know um but Oh, uh, and Jem Jem says uh, that uh, CJ the DJ is going to the dungeon for that. I this reminds me though that I do need to make a um, a soundbite of Wendy Williams saying to the incinerator uh, because I think that that would be funny. But uh, I just want to share an update on CJ the DJ in between me talking about that and um, Jem sending their statement that CJ the DJ belongs in the dungeon. Um, She's also died. That's right. CJ the DJ has now died in between these two things. He's dead now. So I think mission, like mission accomplished. I, um, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know you guys. Anyway, um, what I was building to in reference to that, however, is that naturally at any Taylor Swift themed dance party, you're going to have to... <laughs> Wait, I, it just caught up with me that the sentence that I'm about to say is deeply absurd if you know anything about Taylor Swift and or the concept of of dancing, right? Um, I, naturally, at one of these events, you're going to have to play All Too Well. And not only are you going to have to play All Too Well, you're going to have to play the 10-minute version of All Too Well because, you know, listen, DJs need breaks too. He, 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 was, he was very, very very into it and you know you got to take a you got to take a pee break i'm assuming so yeah we played the 10 minute version of all too well and he prologued it by saying um is anybody here a fan of jake gyllenhaal and then everyone booed or something similar and he was like well we'll get to him but First, we need to play Dear John, which is the song about John Mayer, which is the one that everybody, you know, everybody can take out, like, have their two minutes hate, except it's six, it's six minutes, their two minutes hate for um, uh, John Mayer, if you are a Swifty, and that's always real fun, right? But then, it, then he finally did swing back around to doing All Too Well, 10 minutes, 10 minute version, and he just starts, the, <laughs> he just starts this chant with F, Jake. Gyllenhaal, and he did not, obviously he didn't say that, but I'm on um, FM radio and I can't say the bad word, and then everyone else starts going, F, Jake, Gyllenhaal, F, Jake, Gyllenhaal, and so naturally, as like the audience transplant here, like as, as, as like a secret spy for the Jake Gyllenhaal fan club, um, I was very conflicted about that. I, 
I, I truly, I was like, I was, I did not know what to do with myself and with my allegiances. And I didn't know where they lie, where they lay. But like in that moment, um, it was great. It was absolutely quite great. The energy was electric um, and filled with hatred. There was one person in the audience who started saying F Donnie Darko. And I like turned to him and I shouted, no, Donnie Darko's a great movie. How dare you? And yeah, that I think pretty much sums up my experience at the Taylor party at the Fillmore in Silver Spring. It was great. Had a great time. I had a blast. We did leave early because we got so tired, and I had things to do that morning. Then that coming morning, but um, they were because they were gonna go all night. From the sound of it, like I don't know how many Taylor Swift songs he intended to play. We we tapped out around like eleven thirty, eleven forty, with no si- seemingly no signs of stoppage on CJ the DJ's part. And when you have to play Champagne Problems, which he did, um, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like it might be time to take a quick pause and and reevaluate and we can reassess, right? But nonetheless, a, g- a great time, great times had by all. I'm considering going to there's a similar one happening in um Union on Union Stage uh next month, I think. And I'm considering attending that as well because at this point like I will clearly just grab any opportunity to take some friends and then scream sing Taylor Swift songs like I, you know, I how could I say no? But I had a blast. Had a blast. Shout out CJ the DJ. He was. He did look at this podcast, so maybe he'll listen. I don't know. Anyway, she was taking slaves. <laughs> <laughs> We're just trucking along. Next thing, I'm gonna replay this because it's important. Because it is important. So, the other day, I believe it was Wednesday. No, it was Thursday. Oh my god, it was Thursday. On thir- this past Thursday, I watched the film, the 2022 A24 horror film Men, starring our girl Miss Buckley, Miss Jessie Buckley, um, and some other guy. I think his name is Rory Kinnear was the actor, right? Directed by um now enemy of the pod, um what's his name? Alex Garland? who is famous for having directed uh, the film's Ex Machina, and, most importantly, Annihilation. She's also died. I've just been informed that Annihilation has also been killed. Um, However, yes, so, Men is A24's recent entry into the elevated horror genre that they've been pioneering and beating into the ground ever since Hereditary came out. This is my first aside, right? So it is a... It's been a pretty good two years or so, if you consider a good year to be things happening in it, um, for A24's, like, brand as a house of elevated horror, right? Like, I'd say three years, actually, because I guess it would start, like, this, like, its true brand identity as the place where elevated horror movies are made probably started around 2019 with the release of Midsummer, and ever since that point, it has just been, like, rapid fire Elevated horror feature after elevated horror feature. I I'm gonna go look them up, but I really did start to get like exhausted by this concept like almost immediately. I won't lie to you. I really, really, really liked Hereditary. Right? I think it's great. I think like you know no notes, absolutely no problems here. I like what can I say? But it's it's pretty good, right? And then you have everything else that has come after that or so it feels right i will be the first to say i didn't see um what's it called in fabric i have no idea if in fabric is good it looked 
it looked pretty, which is the one thing that most of these movies have going for them, is that they look real cool. But was it good? God only knows. Um, I would say The Lighthouse continued with this trend as... um, Robert Eggers is very much like one of their guys who is responsible for architecting this branding. I'd say it's him and Ari Aster who are truly very like, this is this is the thing we do now, right? Except here's the problem, <laughs> right? I would say that Hereditary and The Lighthouse specifically as pieces of this brand were very like lightning in a bottle moments for A24 in that like they were really good in a really hard to replicate way because then you had Midsummer, which I did not like but a lot of people did that I felt kind of missed the mark in terms of I would say being scary <laughs> at least or at the very least being a like a coherent film on like a coherent I don't know I didn't like it I didn't much care for I didn't much care for Midsummer. I didn't find it I didn't find it scary I didn't find it cute I didn't find it charming all those quotes from Nicki Minaj yada 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 um and then we've just kind of been consider like since Midsummer, I would say we've been con- like continuing this downward trend wherein A24 is licensing any horror concept that sounds compelling enough that looks pretty but ultimately it kind of says very little about like any anything um and there's some there's some like glimmers of quality in here i did see saint maud uh which is another a24 horror film and i thought that one was great actually um i don't know her name because it's welsh but the lead actress did do an extremely good job in that and it wasn't again not horrifying but definitely a, a, a menacing difficult experience that i do not nonetheless do not regret having witnessed right and then we start to get into more like films that A24 licensed or otherwise didn't produce but did acquire for U.S. distribution. And this is the film, I'm I'm talking specifically about the Icelandic film Lamb, which A24 released as a horror movie and marketed as a horror movie, and American audiences definitely received as a horror movie, and reader, it was not a horror movie. Um, It's definitely a folky European drama with fairy tale elements and there's nothing to be to be like horrified of therein and so when people kind of again received and reacted to this movie as though it were that it's just not I don't I don't know I think it's very much a 24 trying to mold these movies into something that they are not for the sake of again protecting this brand where they are the horror people now and they've really continued it with um, X another movie that I didn't like um, that I thought was very cheap and you know and very I, I I got that the whole point was that it's supposed to be like a send up of um sexploitation films and exploitation horror in general, but eh, bad. Um and then we get to I I I took a real long tangent here. We get to men. I've rarely seen like films that are so <gasps> that they make me like reconsider every entry in a director's canon. Men is truly like one of the worst things I have ever had the mispleasure of witnessing because it's it, it is just like two it's not two hours. It is an hour and twenty minutes of Jesse Buckley being being menaced by like every man because men are bad and also all men are the same. And uh spoiler alert, the gimmick herein is that actor Rory Kinnear plays every man. And then it is twenty minutes of the most gross 
sequence of events that I've ever witnessed on screen. And that's saying a lot because I did also see Mother in theaters. Mother, exclamation point. Darren Aronofsky's Jennifer Lawrence's Javier Bardem's Mother, exclamation point. Um, it's just bad, folks. I, I... I wanted to like it because I am a fan of Alex Garland and I really liked Annihilation and I will watch Oscar Isaac in anything, but I haven't seen Ex Machina yet. Um, But my God, it was just so bad. It was just so bad. It's pretty. Is she pretty? I'll say this about Alex Garland. I do think that he is the kind of director who a lazier director would probably like find uh, a village in the UK countryside and think that they wouldn't have to do any work to make it look pretty, and as a result, it would look very generic. Alex Garland does a really good job of making, like, a natural setting work for him in a way that does feel very deliberate, and it, it it's very indicative of, like, a visual language and visual style, and I do con- commend him for that because there's something very menacing about what would otherwise be a very quaint pastoral experience in this movie, and I do I do think that that was, like, it's just so... It's, it's very deliberate, right? And... And and everything else about it was just so bad. I don't know. I don't know, dude. Not spooky. Not scary. I was not menaced. And maybe that's because I knew a little bit too much about the film going in. And I won't spoil it for anybody who does want to watch it, even though I, I don't personally believe in spoilers. And I also do believe that this film is terrible. Like, I, if you want to watch it, I won't say... I mean, I, I guess I already did give one gimmick away. But the, the, the truly gross gimmick of it i won't i won't tell it here especially because i am always a little bit weary about what things i can and can't say um with the fcc watching my my beautiful behind i don't know what to do with that but let's just say it was it was icky it was icky it made me feel it made me feel bad and i didn't like it um so yeah that was men Jesse Buckley did give it, though, as per usual. Jesse Buckley is an actress that I do think is incapable and allergic to, um, incapable of and allergic to giving a bad performance. And boy, did she not. She was menaced for an hour and 20, and then for the la- that last 20, she truly was disgusted. And that, and that was men. And that was men. Um, Jem wants me to point out The Witch, uh, which was also a product of Robert Egger, Rob Eggers. I have never seen it. I, it's one of those ones that I have been meaning to watch since forever, and I just have not yet gotten around to it. I don't know what it is. Um, I believe I do believe that, that that one is very good. It looks very good. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, everybody's fave, is in that, stars in that, and I think that she'd be great in it. The only problem, like, and I, I, I would say that that one kind of predates this, like, genre, this, like, genre identity of, uh, Oh, I I I, be- I believe that it's great. I believe you. I believe you, Jem. I believe you. Um, for those of you who who haven't like uh, divined this, I am receiving live texts from Jem. That being said, um, yeah, I believe that it's good. But again, I do think that it it kind of falls outside, like well outside of uh this brand identity of of A24s as yeah uh, it came out back in like 2015 it's like super it's before there was like a concerted effort to do this thing right I could you could argue that it kind of started with the movie It Comes at Night which came out in 2017 but I don't think I would go that far because I think that the problem with It Comes at Night is that it was before it was before people like truly understood what they were going for with this kind of brand identity so I remember a lot of a lot of um reactions to it comes at night being that oh it's not it's not scary enough like it's not scary at all and i think that now we're a lot more open to this idea of a horror movie with no scares in it and i do think that's because of the a20 like the work that a24 has done after that point 
but yeah, I am, I'm willing to concede that The Witch is great. Um, Jem says that it's smarter than any of the other um, elevated A24 horror movies, and I do believe that. I think that A24, like, A24 had a good thing going with that, uh, Rob, with that Rob guy, and he did go off to join Focus Features and then said that actually working with a big-budget studio kind of sucked <laughs> on the Northmen. So, you know, womp womp. Sometimes you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you know what you get. Slay. You get slay. You get a big slay. I did that for 30 minutes. Good job, me. Um, so we're now going to move into what you all came here for, hopefully, uh, which is discussion of uh, films that actually starred Jake Gyllenhaal. Surprise, surprise, because that is what the show is about. Uh, I want to start off this section of the episode by reading a statement that Jem sent in. I did not... Uh, no, Jem, I did not read yours up top. I was waiting until I actually started talking about the movie um, before I started... I, I read your statement. So we're going to loop... We're looping back around to the statement. This is from Jem. Uh, let me let me play in uh, Jem uh, here. Mad ethnic right now. That's good, because as we all know, Jem is uh, mad ethnic. All right, let's start. Hello, it is I, Jem. I'm in Chicago right now on my way to a lovely house in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Um, and I'm going to enjoy a lake house and be hotter than all of you. This is true. Know that I have not seen any of these movies, but I have seen Demolition, and my thoughts on it can be found in the Oscar, Oscar Talk and More episode. This is true. Uh, a couple Back when the Oscar nominations came out, uh, we bait-and-switched uh, all of you uh, into talking about that instead of Demolition, because I didn't feel like watching Demolition at the time. It is, it's some sad white man BS, so that just means... <laughs> So that it's some sad white man BS. So that means that Justin loves it. Anyway, enjoy talking about miserable films. See you guys in two weeks. Thank you, Jem. It's true. So I want to lead in with Demolition, which again it was a movie that we were going to watch back in like March or maybe even earlier than that. And then I again I did decide that I was too tired to do it that night, so I did not watch. I, we did not watch it, and instead we talked about the Oscars because that's what I care about, and that's not so much what Jem cares about. So. Here's what we're going to do. I am going to give myself 10 minutes. I need to go find a timer. I told myself I would, um, I would like, find a, a ticking clock sound effect so that I could, like, play it in here and, like, be all profession stuff. Um, but it would seem as though I cannot find one on my instance, which is fine. Um, but I am going to actually, uh, I'm going to, I'm telling you that I'm going to time myself. Yep, there's just, there's nothing. There is nothing here. Um, yeah, okay. I'm going to time myself, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes, and I want you to imagine, like, the sound of a clock ticking when I say, go, and now I'm going to talk about demolition. Okay, so, for those of you who don't know me, like, personally, and even if you do, I, I don't know how often I talk about this, um, Jean-Marc Vallier, the director of Demolition, is probably one of my favorite directors of, like, just, like, of all time, um... And this is mostly attributed, attributed to the fact that um, his film, I think in, that came out in like 2014, uh, Wild, starring Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern, is just, it was like a very formative movie-going experience for me. My mom and I watched it in theaters that Oscar season, and I just, like, I, it truly, truly blew my mind in that moment. Like, I had never seen anything like it, and that's, like, you know, mostly because I was like, I don't know like, 12, and I hadn't really gone to a lot of movies before. But yeah, like, there was truly, in my head, there was truly, truly nothing like Wild, because John McVallier, to me, has stylistically informed a lot of things that I now actively seek out in movies, in that he does a lot of playing with memory and natural spaces um, and music. I... Uh, and these are all three things um, in his style, like in his visual style and filmmaking style that I have always adored. 
um, because it's this wedding of a very naturalistic kind of filmmaking with very dreamlike events and circumstances and handling of subject matter. I think uh, really like like the strongest example of this like off the top of my head would probably be like sequences in Wild, wherein like Cheryl Strayed, and this is based off of a real life memoir um, uh, of the of the woman Cheryl Strayed, um, is out on her own on the Pacific on the I think it's just not the Pacific Coast Highway. It's like the Pacific PC. I think it's the PC PC something. Um, don't don't quote me on that. And she starts to have all these like brief flashbacks to her past with her now deceased mom, Laura Dern. She has all these sequences of her time as a drug addict and just moreover like all like these little glimpses of conflict in uh, throughout her life. And it's this it's this engagement with memory as something as like fleeting and indirect and oftentimes not quite reliable. That I actually, that I've always really admired in Vallée's filmmaking because he just has this habit of setting up a memory before, like, well before it, like, we actually see it on screen, if we see it to begin with, um, in a way that suggests rather than outright stating something that happens. And this is also something, this is also something very similar in The Lost Daughter that Maggie Gyllenhaal does that I, that made me like that film so much. And that, again, like, memories are very hazy and not quite trustworthy and they come in bits and pieces rather than, um, like, these staged, perfectly, like, you know, these perfectly aligned moments. I think that there's something very fun about, like, and something very real about this kind of understanding of memory. And that's something that immediately resonated with me in Demolition. Demolition is... For... for I want to be a little bit more positive about it, even though, I, again, I really liked it. Unlike Jem, I really liked this movie. Um, it's definitely a wonky film for both Jake and for uh, Valle. Um, because... It's one of those things where my friend, my dear friend um, and co- like co-founding member of um, the Jake Gyllenhaal fan club as a concept, Adelaide, um, has this tag on her letterbox that used to ju- that would read as a, this would be better if directed by a woman. I agree most times. And while I do really, I am really wedded to Valier's visual style I, here, I would also have to agree here. But more importantly, I think that this movie would be 10 times better were it written by a woman. Because I think it has a very complicated and, dare I say, negative relationship with, um, da 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 with, uh, its female characters, right? Um, the premise is that Jake Gyllenhaal suddenly loses his uh, beautiful, fun wife in a car accident. And he immediately represses all of his emotions and immediately starts acting out in really weird ways that upset everybody around him because he's not grieving in the right way, right? Now, this is something I really like. Uh, again, unlike Jem, I actually very much enjoy this concept of grief as nonlinear and unenjoyable for the people around you. And if it doesn't stick to these classic narratives of you're sad, but you're persevering. Like, no, Jake Gyllenhaal, for most of the movie, is not sad and is confused by why he isn't sad. And everyone around him is mad at him for why he's not sad. And he's telling people that he's not sad and he's trying to convince him. He's like clearly very visually. This is one of my favorite Gyllenhaal performances, by the way. I I feel like I say that pretty regularly when the movie isn't, like, explicitly bad, but 
I really do love the um, the performance that Jake is serving in this episode, um, in this film, and I'm not going to, in the next 20 minutes, I'm not going to get very many chances to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Jake, Jake is just, like, really, truly going through the motion, like, going through it in terms of, like, trying to understand himself and his feelings, and he just destroys everything around him, like, li- like literally, physically. He sees a problem with his fridge and his big million-dollar home, and this is how it starts. This is how it starts, where um his wife was trying to get him to re- repair a fridge, and he can't do it, so he rips the fridge out of the wall, <laughs> like, like, actively just starts, like, like, has a moment and where he removes the fridge from his kitchen. And... To me, it is this very harrowing look at masculine the intersections of like masculinity and grief because this is contrasted against another famous actor whose name I will now look up, but I'm going to continue to talk, um, who is trying is doing this thing. Chris Cooper is the actor where he's doing this thing where, despite himself, he's crying and he's kind of failing to be this like patriarchal father type he's doing a bad job of it and it's kind of and that like watching him like that is clearly eating away at him and he's mad at jake seemingly for not having a similar response and it's really interesting to kind of watch this this literal these literal acts of self-destruction culminate here with these two things playing against each other it's just a shame (laughs) that everything else i.e the two prominent women in the movie, um, Naomi Watts as Jake's not love interest, love interest, and um, Jake's now deceased husband, uh, why not what husband, ooh, gay, uh, now deceased wife, uh, Heather Lind as Julia, having, mm, I would say, limited interiority to them. Uh, Naomi Watts is a bit of a she's broken, he's okay, (laughs) manic pixie dream girl type. And Heather Lind is really, really that. And neither of these characters, I would say, but mostly Heather, uh, Julia is the character's name, have any true character, like narrative depth until Valier, and actually Valier is not really the screenwriter, if I recall correctly, either way, um, like remember that they probably should. Um, I, most, this is most noticeable in this moment where, uh, like, this climactic moment where Jake discovers that his wife was pregnant when she died, and her, his mother-in-law, who hates him, who hates him, especially for, you know, not grieving right, um, reveals, uh, that it was not Jake's kid. Like, it was, it was a, it was a love child, an affair, baby. And she's like, I wish she'd kept it, because, you know, I don't like you. And it's just like... It's it's complicated to me because I it it goes back to this thing this exploration of uh, memory in Valier films that again I really like where Jake can only remember these like happy floaty parts where his wife is like dancing at the beach and giving him socks and having a good time right this these are the only things he can remember and not so much the conflict that might or might not have happened in his marriage we that's what we see right and I think that it's nice. And I don't necessarily have a have as much of a problem with it narratively uh, in regards to the uh, deceased wife character, because, again, I do think that she's more of a vehicle for she's more of a vehicle for that, for that kind of uh, narrative exploration than anything. But I do think it is genuinely unforgivable what Naomi Watts has to work with here. It's just like 
she's just she's just in a silly goofy mood with a kid who curses at her but he might be gay or bi or trans or all of the above i don't know we weren't on it in 2015 i guess is what i'll say but Again, for me, it's truly, truly, truly hard to resist such visual splendor. So I couldn't be too mad at the movie, even though it's not great. And I love, 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 love one of the most climactic moments of the film wherein Jake finds a sticky note that his wife had written to him in his car long after she's been gone. And that's what it takes for him to start crying. It's just so... Again, I think it's... For as cheesy and manic pixie-y as it, can, as it was at times, and believe me, it was. I do think that it is a very honest depiction of grief as ugly and painful for all parties and not fun for anybody, and I, I, I like that it did that. I, and I, and Jake turned, Jake turned the party and I am happy that that happened. Okay, lap. That was, that was uh, one movie done. I have to go back to my soundboard to do the next one. We're doing, um, uh, bu- 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 uh, g- 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 please, why the computer loads so slowly today? Um, uh, Wigless. great. Next up on the docket. We have to talk about David O. Russell's Accidental Love, another movie that came out in 2015 starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Plot twist here, though, however, it was actually produced in 2008, and everybody on the production hated it so much that uh, David O. Russell canned it, walked away from it. Jake Gyllenhaal and co-star Jessica Biel walked off set multiple times. Uh, They hated it. It was a bad script, and it didn't turn out the way David O. Russell wanted it to, and it just, it was just bad. And I guess somebody cobbled it together, however many, like what, seven years later, into like excuse me, a cheesy rom-com to release right at Valentine's Day. Problem being... (laughs) I've got phlegm in my throat. Problem being that this is just like... It's just not that kind of film. David O. Russell... uh, By the way, I just want to state for the record that I hate David O. Russell. He's a bad dude. Look it up. Um, David O. Russell, that is not the film that he brought to the table when he wrote and directed and then walked out of Accidental Love. It was originally titled Nailed, based off of a book that I don't care to look up right now, um, wherein Jessica Biel's character um, lives in idyllic, unmoored-in-time suburban life in the Midwest, and then she takes a nail to the head, and it completely changes her personality, but she can't because she can't afford to get the surgery to remove the nail. So she goes to Washington D.C. because Jake, an ad in Jake Gyllen, um, that Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, as a young senator, ran told her to basically, um, where she meets him. They fall in love. They have this like whirlwind, hot, hot, sexually charged romance. Um, and she uses, you know, she uses her her feminine wiles um, to gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss her way into some semblance of universal healthcare. Played up against Catherine Keener, who uh, is trying to can universal healthcare so she can build a, um, a military base on the moon. Yes, really, that's the plot of Nailed. It was bad. It was, dare I even say, it was terrible. It was a terrible film where it's it's hideous. It's Truly, like a Frankenstein's monster of a of a narrative feature of like a narrative, where I see reviews a lot. Where when we're talking about bad editing and like cobbling together a movie, people will be like, "The motivations aren't very clear, and no one and we don't understand why characters wind up from one place to the other." And at least with Jessica Biel, who I do truly 
see here uh, David O. Russell trying to mold this woman into a prototypical uh, Jennifer Lawrence as Jennifer Lawrence would become like his little darling like actress for the next three movies after this where like she's like she's like rough and tumble and and speaking and I don't know how I don't actually know Jessica Biel's like natural speaking voice but it's like very bro-y in a way that does not seem comfortable to her and it's just so but yeah at least with Jessica Biel's character we get the sense that if she's erratic and weird it's because this movie doesn't really understand brain injuries and she's just behaving like that and (laughs) so I'm willing to give it that pass and also just in general this idea of like this is already a screwball comedy they're trying to build a, a, a military base on the moon right like I'm not looking for narrative consistency here if we're gonna get Jessica B- Jessica Beale travels cross country because a political ad told her to, and then Jake Gyllenhaal's like, okay, that's great. Like, listen, I'm not gonna dispute that. I'm just not gonna dispute it. <laughs> I wish I had. I know. I like. I really don't know what to say about this movie other than that I kind of liked it, though. I, like against all odds, it it was just like. It was kind of, like, blindingly, blindingly one of the worst things I've ever seen. Not okay. I wouldn't go that far, actually. I had a friend ask me the other day if it was as bad as Cats. And Cats, to me, for starters, hot take, is a great movie, right? Or if it's not great, it is, like, Cats is a C-. minus. It's actually not that bad. It's just okay. And this movie was, like, ten times worse than Cats on nearly every level, right? It's poorly edited. It's incoherent. It's ugly okay wait i'm thinking about this now as i'm saying these words a lot of people do have like basically the same things to say about cats and i don't blame them sometimes but i do think that they're wrong either way either way obviously a lot of poor choices were made on the set of this movie to i don't know spare budget or what have you it's an ugly film i'll I'll go with that right but It is also somehow just, like, so committed to its own stupidity that, like, I I don't know. I can't help but be, like, kind of charmed by, by it. And not in the sense that, like, I don't know, it's, like, trying, because no, it, it, it is not trying. But, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's just, it's just dumb enough. It's just dumb enough that I actually think, I, it's, it's just dumb enough where I think that I'll, I'll give it a pass. I, I get the sense that no thoughts, no thoughts were happening here on the set of Accidental Love other than like, oh God, is this what I'm doing now? I, I, can, I can imagine that those were the thoughts that were being had, right? It's also very funny. It's, it's, got, it's got like a surprise... Well, hey, hey, let's start here. The, the cast is stacked, right? Because it's, again, Jessica Biel kind of at her peak as like... Not, I, I don't know if he was ever, like, an A-lister, but, like, at her peak of being, like, a famous woman in Hollywood because she was very young and that's all it takes to, for people to attach themselves to you for about a year. Um, yeah, so she's got Jessica Biel at, at her peak. Jake's here. Um, when he was much more main, like, much more mainstream normal actor boy. Uh, J- James Marsden's here playing a hunky cop. Every hot person in this movie is a little bit ugly here. They gave Jake the worst haircut possible. Um, uh, James has got a bit of a weird orangey glow to him, and also he's a cop, so, like, you know. Um, if you like Bill Hader, Bill Hader's in it for a minute, and he's kind of he's kind of serving. He's kind of uh, he's kind of slaying. There's a bit of a slay here. Wait, up, up, up. 
Oh, I forgot I, I muted the PC. Big sleigh. <laughs> big sleigh. That's right. He's kind of got a big sleigh going on here. Sleigh. Big sleigh. Big sleigh. Big sleigh. Big sleigh. Um, and he's yeah, he's in it for a scene and then he leaves. Um, what do you mean? Wait a minute, internet. What do you mean, John Stewart was in Accidental Love? I'm gonna ignore it. I have no time to process this in my brain. I'm just I'm just going to ignore that. Um, but then like you have other other equally major cast members again. Like you've got um Tracy Morgan somehow is here. Um. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if Kirstie Alley counts as big at this point. We'll, we'll call it that. Pee Wee Herman, a.k.a. Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens is here. Why? I don't know. I do not know. But he's in it. He's in it for, like, not an insignificant amount of time. And it's just so... It's so genuinely jarring to me how much talent was, like, attached to this movie and how clearly, like, someone was trying to make it work. You know, credit to these people. They're really, like, working with what they've been given. But it's just so bad and so obviously bad. Like, I don't know, dude. Dude being you, of course, the listener. Um, and again, it, it can't even be, like, it can't even be salvaged by, like, hot Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, say what you want about Demolition. Again, I liked it. Um, but, you know, there's a scene where Jake Gyllenhaal is, like, mostly naked in it. That's what you want? Hey, this movie's got it. But Accidental Love has nothing of the sort. Has he has, like, a, oh, actually, that's not true. That's <laughs> literally not true. It's literally not true. There is also a scene where Jake Gyllenhaal, like, is full naked and also covered in dirt uh, in Accidental Love. But, again, he's also got, like, a terrible haircut and he's, in general, just, like, in a very bad movie. And I do think that, like, being in a movie that isn't very good does kind of, like, bring down your hotness value. Um, which is unfortunate for Jake, but not so, I don't know. I don't know. I have to say two more, like, two more minutes worth of... Actually, that's not true. I could just move right on to Brothers. I'm going to move right on to Brothers. I'm going to lap it here. We're going to move on to Brothers, because I think that that's the movie I have the least to say about. Anyway, lap. That was loud. I'm sorry. Brothers. Have one? Ever heard of him? I have one. He graduated yesterday, and that's when I watched the movie. Um, Shout out my brother, who graduated from high school yesterday. Anyway, Brothers is another movie that Jake Gyllenhaal was in, alongside Tugboat McGuire, Natalie Portman, uh, Bailey Madison, that was a fun jump scare when she showed up, uh, and Carrie Mulligan for like a minute, uh, long predating wildlife. Um, The difference here being that this movie is bad, actually. There are a lot of films in the, like, general Jake Gyllenhaal oeuvre where people are like, no, he's actually, like, this one's really good. Like, it's a serious, sensitive drama about, and then you have to insert either the police or the military because Jake really knows how to pick them. Um, but it's like a sensitive portrayal of what it's really like to be one of these two things, right? And then you watch the movie and it isn't sensitive or, like, thoughtful or good. Uh, case in point, Brothers is truly, um, it's a film about Tugboat McGoober gets caught by, um, uh, by, uh, bearded brown men in turbans, which means bad guys, um, in Afghanistan, and, uh, is imprisoned there for some time, and everybody thinks that he died in an air, in a helicopter crash, and so Jake Gyllenhaal has to move in and be, uh, young hot dad to Natalie Portman's young hot mom for a little while, and horror of horrors, uh, Tugboat McGoober's kids actually like Jake Gyllenhaal more because he's a better father. God, like, you know, God only knows. But, it's just... (laughs) See, you run up against the issue that, like, when you're making a movie about war and you're trying to say something about the war, you should... 
don't know. You should make an attempt. <laughs> I wish, I, I truly wish I had a more coherent statement on this movie. Just, it's just not like it's just not very good. Everybody says exactly the things you would expect them to say in this moment, in moments of like huge tension. Um, in that, like, characters are just causing problems for each other on purpose. Jake has a mean dad who always liked Tugboat better because he's literally a Marine. And there's just, there are these two weird sequences at the beginning where his dad just picks a fight with him for fun, just for funnies, because, because Jake went to prison and Tugboat is a Marine. And then, and, you know, so he's a failure and I hate you and you suck. You could, you should have been your, your brother. And then, and then later in the movie, he just decides to stop doing that, actually. He decides to stop being a bad dad. <laughs> it's just bad. I don't know. I thought I'd be able to be more coherent about it in this, like, in my last few minutes before the movie. But, like, truly, truly, everyone, everyone's here trying and failing to, to bring it, right? Um... I would say special shout-outs go to Tugboat, Tugboat McGoober, for truly, truly, truly being a really, I would say a pretty, like, shockingly understated actor right up until the last, like, 45 minutes to half hour where he comes back from Afghanistan uh, horribly traumatized and starts freaking out on everybody. It is too much. He's doing too much, and I hated it. Natalie Portman's um, underacting, and Jake, God bless him, he's really hot. That's it. That's literally all I have to say about brothers. Jake, God bless him. Real hot. Ugly little movie. Didn't like it. I did not feel strongly enough about it to like get upset radically about it. But nonetheless, not not it. I I really in my last couple of minutes I'll say I really I really truly would like to implore all of you fellow Jill and Hooligans stop lying to yourselves and more importantly stop lying to me stop lying to me and saying that the Jake Gyllenhaal movies that aren't good are good when they're not good most of them are bad <laughs> which is why we've stopped doing which is why we've, we're pivoting away from Jake Gyllenhaal most of these movies they're not great they're not great and I can't say an hour's worth of things about them hence why we only went for we did three in one go and that's it that was it that's today's episode of the jake gyllenhaal fan club i i i I thought i did a pretty okay job on my own i would hope so because i have to do this again next week and i'm a little bit stressed about it but it's okay it's fine what will we be talking about i don't know i'll tell you next week just like i did this time you'll find out when i decide to let you find out i truly don't know what else to tell you good luck with that and uh, goodbye. I really didn't understand the premise of the show.